This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where three lawmakers from Tampa Bay have teamed up on bills calling for changes in the state's eviction process. What we're really trying to do here, to put it uh, very plainly, is to help level the playing field, try to provide more process for tenants throughout the eviction um, judicial process. As many as one million Floridians are facing eviction as a result of the COVID pandemic. January was the worst month on record for the number of COVID fatalities and newly confirmed cases reported in Florida. But the governor says the trends are looking much better. We've seen huge decline in hospitalizations over the last two weeks. The admissions have gone down dramatically over the last two weeks, and, and we hope that that trend continues. The state reported 214 additional fatalities Monday. There were also 5,700 new cases, but that's the lowest one-day total so far this year. A couple of members of Congress from South Florida are calling on newly elected Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia to be stripped of her committee assignments for some of the crazy things she's posted on social media and said in real life. Representative Taylor Greene's pattern of appalling behavior both before her election and during her term has helped fuel domestic terrorism, endangered the lives of her colleagues, and brought shame on the entire House of Representatives. Is it really so hard for Republicans to condemn this and say, that's offensive, this is dangerous, knock it off, don't say this again? Among other things, Green says the shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School three years ago was a government hoax. Fred Guttenberg says she owes him and the other Parkland parents an apology and a resignation. I'm going to ask her to stop writing in the snow and to start writing out her resignation statement. It is the only appropriate response left. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man arrested for stealing a poodle after delivering a pizza. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, February 2nd. This is Groundhog Day, National Hedgehog Day, Groundhog Day, National Tater Tot Day, Groundhog Day, National Ukulele Day, and did I mention Groundhog Day? When Chekhov saw the long winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. Yet we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of Punxsutawney and basking in the warmth of their hearths and hearts, I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. And now, my own personal hell of Groundhog Day, it's the daily COVID casualties. The health department reported 214 additional fatalities Monday, increasing Florida's death toll to 27,129. But the number of newly confirmed cases was only 5,700, which is the lowest one-day total so far this year. And while more deaths were reported in January than any other month of the pandemic, Governor Ron DeSantis says there are other stats that appear to show COVID is in retreat. We've seen huge decline in hospitalizations over the last two weeks. The admissions have gone down dramatically over the last two weeks, and, and we hope that that trend continues. I think Seniors First is part of that, but I can tell you this, the more seniors we vaccinate, the lower that hospitalization number is going because those are the folks that are most likely to need admission to the hospitals. So that's a really good trend and really the two things we've looked at the whole time, I don't get bent out of shape about these positive tests because if you test 200,000 people, you're going to get a lot of positive tests. So that's never been the barometer we've used. We've used uh, 
emergency department visit for COVID-like illness. That peaked on January 3rd. It's been going down for the rest of January. And then the hospital census, which peaked in the middle of January, has been going down the last two weeks. And so those aren't trends unique to Florida. COVID is, is receding everywhere in the United States. Now, maybe that's seasonal. Maybe it'll come back stronger in the spring. You know, we obviously had a summer wave. Maybe, maybe that's something we'll have to contend with. But I think that with the vaccines continuing to be put out, uh, I think it's going to be harder for COVID to really have a, ser a serious spike. So we're, we're making some really good progress as a country on this. The state, we're doing, I think, well, and uh, we want to keep those trends going. There's still not enough vaccine in Florida or anywhere else for that matter. And the governor has been counting on Johnson & Johnson's new one-dose vaccine to speed things up. The initial report said J&J's product is nowhere near as effective as the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines in preventing the disease. However, DeSantis says if you dig deeper, it looks better. We got some really, really good news about the phase three clinical trial data from the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And if you watch some of the headlines and reports, it was like, oh, not as effective as Pfizer and Moderna was what I was seeing. And I was like, oh, man, that, that really stinks. But then you look at it and yeah, they said 66 percent efficacy in terms of preventing infection. And that was it was higher in the U.S., but they looked at all worldwide data to come up with that. Uh, but after 28 days, one single dose of Johnson and Johnson vaccine was found to be 100 percent effective at preventing death and almost 100% effective, practically 100% effective at preventing hospitalization. And so, look, it, to me, what, if no one got infected, fine, but if you have something that will rule out fatalities and rule out, for all intents and purposes, people even being admitted to hospitals, that is a successful a vaccine. Sign me up for that. And so we, we look very forward. They're going to be submitting uh, an application for emergency use authorization probably this week, uh, maybe next week, but very soon we could get an approval for emergency use this month of February, which would be a really, really good thing. More than 200 inmates at Florida prisons have been killed by COVID-19, but so far no vaccinations behind bars. And Governor DeSantis says he has no intention of sending any vaccine to prisons until all the seniors who want them get their shots. You know, some of these states were vaccinating prisoners and for, and instead of seniors. They're vaccinating drug addicts instead of seniors. And look, I mean, if we had unlimited vaccine, vaccine who you want, but this is limited vaccine. Whose priorities are you are you looking out for? We're looking out for our parents and grandparents here in Florida, and there's no way you're going to get some prisoner a vaccine over a senior citizen. The rate of inmate deaths in Florida is almost double the rate of the federal prison system, and at least six Florida correction staffers have died of COVID-19. Three lawmakers from Tampa Bay team up on bills to change the way evictions are handled during the pandemic. Senator Daryl Rousson of St. Petersburg says they want landlords and tenants to go to mediation before they go to court. Senate Bill 412 and its companion House Bill 481, titled Residential Tenancies, requires courts in a judicial circuit in which a residential eviction mediation program has been established to refer matters involving a residential eviction to mediation. Our state should be utilizing mediation to discuss options for tenants and landlords 
prior to the eviction proceeding taking place, prior to a writ of possession being issued by the court. Representative Fentries Driscoll of Tampa says landlords have an advantage under the current system and renters need more rights. What we're really trying to do here, to put it uh, very plainly, is to help level the playing field, try to provide more process for tenants throughout the eviction um, judicial process and make sure that we can slow it down a bit so that, uh, you know, um, we can hear the facts, make sure that those facts come to rise in the process of mediation, make it so that people don't have to pay money that they don't already have oftentimes into the court registry, try to avoid those default judgments right up front and eliminate that summary process so that we can really hear from the tenants, try to understand what's happening and frankly, try to keep more people in their homes. Driscoll and Rousson are also supporting a bill sponsored by Representative Diane Hart of Tampa. It would allow judges to seal the court records of people evicted because of the pandemic. Once you have an eviction on your record, it is exceedingly difficult to find another landlord willing to give you an opportunity to rent. This bill would ensure if you were evicted due to the pandemic that your record will be sealed, thereby giving an individual another opportunity to find housing. The state of Florida truly has a crisis on our hands. I'm proud to carry this important legislation. It will help many individuals and families as we continue to navigate these unprecedented times. As many as one million Floridians are in danger of losing their homes through foreclosure or eviction because of the COVID crisis. Next up on Sunrise, two members of Congress from South Florida take aim at a colleague from North Georgia. Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia has been serving in Congress for exactly one month, but that was more than enough for Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Broward County, who has filed a resolution asking that Greene be stripped of her committee assignments because of some outrageous things she has said on social media and in real life. Throughout her short political career, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene has advocated for violence and made repeated racist, anti-Semitic and Islamophobic comments. She is engaged in sedition and spread baseless conspiracy theories, even claiming that the Sandy Hook Elementary and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shootings were staged. Her bizarre claims include blaming the 2018 Campfire Wildfire in California on a Jewish space laser and dabbling in 9-11 trutherism. She's even called for the execution of Speaker Pelosi, former President Obama, and other political adversaries, including FBI agents. Worse, she stands by all of these statements today saying just this past weekend, I won't back down, I'll never apologize. Representative Taylor Greene's pattern of appalling behavior both before her election and during her term has helped fuel domestic terrorism, endangered the lives of her colleagues, and brought shame on the entire House of Representatives. Based on her actions and statements and her belligerent refusal to disavow them, if she had honor, of course, she would resign. If she possessed shame, censure and an apology might suffice. Expulsion is a fitting punishment, but it takes a two-thirds vote of the House, and that would require support from enough Republicans who aren't morally bankrupt, which is unlikely. So reducing the future harm that she can cause in Congress and denying her a seat at committee tables where fact-based policies will be crafted is both a suitable punishment and a proper restraint of her influence. If Republicans won't police their own, the House must step in. Green's denial of the massacre at Parkland convinced Congressman Ted Deutsch it's time to do something. His district includes Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High. The Republican Party has welcomed in extremists who perpetuate racist, anti-Semitic, Islamophobic conspiracy theories, and who continue to support Trump's big lie that led to the insurrection at the Capitol. 
All of this is repulsive. All of it is beneath the office of a member of Congress. It is shameful if this is the kind of caucus that Kevin McCarthy wants. It is insulting. It is offensive to millions of Americans, especially the Parkland community, especially the families of gun violence victims across the country. But make no mistake, this is the face of the Republican Party right now. And putting Marjorie Taylor Greene on the Education Committee, the committee responsible for providing for and protecting, protecting our kids after she mocked and attacked student leaders uh, like David Hogg only adds insult to injury. Kevin McCarthy appears to have sold his party out to the extremist conspiracy theory wing of that party. And by the way, last thing, uh, my constituents are also Marco Rubio's constituents and Rick Scott's constituents. Where's their condemnation of this personal attack on their constituents? Is it really so hard for Republicans to condemn this and say, that's offensive, this is dangerous, knock it off, don't say this again. And let's take a step back. Is this where we are as a country right now? Sitting members of Congress denying that mass shootings actually happen and promoting conspiracy theories that belong buried in the Middle Ages. These aren't just nasty political statements. They are dangerous lies, like threatening the lives of elected officials, using stereotypes of Jews that have been employed for generations to justify the murder of Jewish communities, racist and vile attacks, Islamophobic, scurrilous attacks. This isn't just politics. It's about human decency and the standard of decency in the halls of Congress. And if Kevin McCarthy won't condemn her publicly and follow through with action, then it shows that he has no decency and expects none from his caucus. Silence at this point by Kevin McCarthy and by Marco Rubio and by Rick Scott tells us that they stand on the side of conspiracy theorists who attack students and call mass shooting tragedies false flag operations. We should expect more from them. Fred Guttenberg takes this personally. His daughter, Jamie, was one of the 17 people killed during the Parkland shooting. She lies about Sandy Hook. She lies about Las Vegas and has conspiracy theories about them as well on video. And amazingly, while she lies about these events and says they didn't happen, she believes that because of my last name, I'm in possession of some laser that starts wildfires out in California. You can't make it up. It sounds crazy, but these are the things she says. And honestly, she's one person. She is irrelevant. She is nothing. She is a nobody. However, the entire Republican establishment refuses to stand up to her. And so they now own the lie. They have now become a party of conspiracy and alternative facts. And so I'm calling on her to make a public statement disowning everything that she has previously said, acknowledging the lie. She owes it to this country. She owes it to every single person like my family that she has hurt. I just want to say one thing to Marjorie Taylor Greene. I am not part of a left-wing mob. I am a dad. Instead of statements saying that I am part of a left-wing mob, or even worse, crazier things that she has said on Twitter since yesterday. I'm gonna ask her to stop writing in the snow and to start writing out her resignation statement. It is the only appropriate response left. 
Representatives Deutsch and Wasserman Schultz agree that Green should be kicked out of the House, but they say Republican leaders have the votes to stop that, so the best Democrats can do is strip her of her committee assignments and try to make her irrelevant to the process. Your calendar of events begins at 9 when the governor and cabinet meet to consider Florida Forever land deals in Jefferson and Santa Rosa counties. The Senate Appropriations Committee meets at 9 to hear a presentation about the governor's new budget. The Public Service Commission holds a meeting at 9.30. That's followed by a hearing on a proposal by Utilities, Inc. to increase water and wastewater rates in central Florida. At 11, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed holds a press conference to announce the release of a Keeping Florida and America Growing program. That is a state-federal partnership. At 12.30, the Senate Ethics and Elections Committee gets a presentation about the 2020 elections. The Florida Chamber of Commerce holds an online news conference at 1 to discuss their agenda for the upcoming session. At 3.30, the Senate Banking and Insurance Committee takes up a bill that would make changes in Florida's property insurance system. They're trying to reduce attorney fees and litigation in property insurance disputes and limit the payout for claims of roof damage. The Senate Community Affairs Committee meets at 3.30 to take up a bill that would prevent local code enforcement inspectors from investigating potential violations based on anonymous complaints. So if you want to turn in the competition for a code violation, you have to put your name on the complaint. The Senate Transportation Committee meets at 3.30 to talk about a bill creating a purple alert system. That's to alert the public about missing adults with disabilities. A former Florida man has been returned to the U.S. by the FBI for prosecution. The U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Florida says a U.S. citizen by the name of Mohammed Fathi Suleiman, who is 33 years old, left Gainesville in 2014, traveled to Turkey, and then attempted to enter Syria illegally to join ISIS. He's charged with attempting to provide material support to the Islamic State of Iraq and faces 20 years in prison if convicted. And finally today, a Florida man is busted for stealing a puppy after delivering food to a condo in Jacksonville Beach. The 10-month-old teacup poodle named Lexi walked out the door when 22-year-old Arlinson Cholito was delivering a pizza. Police say Cholito grabbed the pup and hit her in the delivery bag. He was caught on surveillance video walking into the elevator with the dog. The Jacksonville man is charged with grand theft, and Lexi is back home with her humans. By the way, when the puppy disappeared, the owners offered a $5,000 reward. They'll be donating that money to the Jacksonville Beach Police Lodge as a way to say thank you for bringing Lexi home. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.